Well, praise the Lord. Amen. Even if. All right. Well, some things in life don't matter that much. I chose to wear a suit and tie this morning because it's my preference, but it's not a matter of life or death, is it? Now, some of you would probably say, I can't believe the preacher doesn't have a suit on today and no tie. Yeah, I know. And then, uh, you know, some of you probably chose to eat oatmeal this morning instead of grits. And that is certainly an affront to my southern roots. But you've got every right in the world to eat oatmeal. It's not a real big deal. Whether your life counts for Christ is a big deal. And think about it. On the last day, hearing those words, thy good and faithful servant. That is really important. Is it not? Today we're going to talk about people who know their God. People who know their God are faithful to Him. And their life counts for Him. Why? Because they stand firm and they take action. We learned last Lord's Day that there are multiple purposes for this incredible prophecy given to us in Daniel chapter 11. I want to remind you of a few things, but just in that one statement, faithful, I want to remind you that one of the main reasons why God gives us the prophetic word in the Bible is so that the faithful will remain faithful. God wants us to be faithful. The main purpose is not to come up with end time charts and graphs. The main purpose is not to give information at a prophecy conference. The most important reason for the prophetic word is to strengthen the faithful. So in consideration of that truth, strengthening the faithful, I want to remind you that there was a restoration on the way, and Daniel knew this. But that restoration was only going to be short-lived. Do you remember how all of this transpired around 605 B.C.? There was the first deportation. Daniel was in that group, and he was exiled to Babylon. And we know that God will raise up some post-exilic, or some exilic prophets. I'm sorry, not post, but exilic prophets like Ezekiel and Jeremiah and Daniel. And they're going to prophesy concerning the future captivity that would take place among the people of God. And, and thus, it happened just as they said. We learn of the struggles that the people faced in Ezra and Nehemiah, even after they sought to rebuild the temple, even after Cyrus gives the word for them to go back. There are difficult days there, and Ezra and Nehemiah talk about it. We learn from the post-exilic prophets, such as Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi, that there would be some fruit during this time among the people of God. The glory of the rebuilt temple would not compare to Solomon's temple. Remember that? But nevertheless, Jerusalem would be established. So Daniel 11 reminds the people that very difficult times are still ahead of them. Even though they're going to go through a, a brief time of restoration. So you need to think about that. Here we're dealing with... Daniel in Babylon, that's not a good thing, right, for all those times. Although God used him in miraculous ways, Daniel saw the rise and fall of Babylon. Then think about it. He saw the Medo-Persian Empire begin, okay? And then in chapter 11, he gets to fleshing out of what the Greek Empire would look like. But that wasn't the end. Even though Antiochus Epiphanes would be a type of Antichrist that would 
hammer the people of God. We know that that's not the last kingdom because Rome was also on the horizon. So I'm reminding you of that to get you to understand that God is preparing the faithful people for difficult days to come. It was, there was restoration, but it was brief. There was some fruit. But then Daniel says there's another difficult time coming. And then another difficult time. And we know full well that the Bible tells us expressly that we've got another difficult time like never before in the history of the world that's coming upon us. It's coming in the future. That's exactly what Revelation 7 and 8 is all about. So, just recapping so you think about this. God seeks to prepare the faithful in difficult days to come. The false prophets in Jeremiah's day were crying, peace, peace. But yet they were false prophets. Remember that? They said, we've got the temple. The Lord is on our side. However, uh, God had different plans. Difficulty was on the horizon. In our day, we have theologies of escapism and exemption. Well, folks, those are not in the Bible. There's no escape hatch in the Bible. So the prophecy is to remind us that difficult days are ahead. Second, the prophecies also remind us that God is still in control. Just as we've heard through numerous songs this morning, our God is in control. We begin, we will begin to endure hardships and difficulties and tribulation, but we need to be reminded in the midst of those things that God actually controls all things. God not only sees, God also gives this incredible prophecy with all the astonishing accuracy that he gives it. But not only does he give the plan, folks, he's in control of the plan. I hope you understand that. Nothing catches our God by surprise. And everything serves God's appointed plan. I didn't put this in your bulletin. The first two are there. And we're going ha- to preach the third. But here's something else I thought about. The, the issue is that when, when he gives this prophecy, there are going to be those who stand up as true believers, but there's also going to be those who are false believers. Is that not true in our day? Even when we face dire circumstances, there will always be the true church and those, but there will also be those who attach themselves for other reasons. There will be the Antiochuses of the world who are coming, and there will also be false brethren who will infiltrate the people of God. We need to remember that when difficult days come, Not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus said this. There's always going to be true believers. And there's always going to be false professors in the church. Okay? Now, I'm ready to preach this morning's sermon. Are you ready? Just to give you a little background, that's a running start. Today, we're going to talk about the fact that this prophecy, given to us by the Lord, this is the third point on your outline, is designed to equip and prepare God's people to not only... Be faithful, but to live faithfully and to live courageously during difficult days. It's one thing just to be able to withstand and make it, but it's another thing to take a stand and take action. It's another thing to be strengthened and to take action. It's another thing to be strong and to do great exploits for the Lord. But notice our passage today, Daniel 11, beginning in verse 32. We ended in this section last week. But you know me, I can't uh, just bump over anything that's vitally important for us to have. And here it is, verse 32. He shall seduce, we're talking about Antiochus Epiphanes, with flattery those who violate the covenant. But the people who know their God shall stand firm 
and take action. Just notice the strength of this text. Those, the people who know their God, shall stand firm and take action. And the wise among the people shall make many understand, though for some days they shall stumble by sword and flame, by captivity and plunder. When they stumble, they shall receive a little help, and many shall join themselves to them with flattery, and some of the wise shall stumble." So that they may be refined, purified, and made white until the time of the end. For it still awaits the appointed time. So our God not only wants us to be faithful during difficult times. But he wants us to have the courage to live for him. That all stems from that faithfulness. So verse 32, what an admonishment to us. What a great admonishment for the day we live in today. To know their God, to take a stand, and to take action. To be strong and to take action. If you will remember, we talked about an extra biblical writing uh, that was written years ago, First and Second Maccabees. Well, in First Maccabees, we know how all of this turns out. In verses 32 through 35, we learn from the writing that some renegade Jews go out and make a covenant with the Gentiles. Do you see it? He shall seduce with flattery those who violate the covenant. Again, how do we know this? Daniel prophesied, God prophesied it 200 years before it took place or 300 years. How do we know this took place? Because we look back on history and we know it happened just the way God said it would happen. But these Jews were actually people who defamed, defamed the covenant. Do you know they actually built a gymnasium in Jerusalem according to the customs of the Gentiles, a Greco-Roman type facility. And the actual root word here is naked. You understand that that's how the Greeks did their athletics, was absolutely naked. And what do we know about the Jews? This would be a shame, right? This would be shameful to the Jews. Yet here is the Jewish people accommodating themselves to build a Gentile-type gymnasium in Jerusalem and remove all the marks of circumcision and abandon the Holy Covenant. This actually went on. They joined the Gentiles. They sold themselves to evil. So many people will turn away from the Lord. There will always be people within the visible community who will urge compromise. Right? They will claim that our separation... And our exclusive truths, claims, or convictions are a stumbling block to getting along with the world. Does that sound like where we're living today? There's going to be those who think that. There will always be those who are willing to sacrifice truth and conviction for the sake of being accepted by the world. And this is what the Jewish people did, hook, line, and sinker. They just they took it in to themselves and defamed the covenant. So, the language we use is not quite as direct as saying the church is just going to accommodate to the world. Here are some things we will say. We will we'll slide it in like this. How are we supposed to relate to the world? How are we supposed to be more relevant to the world? How is the church supposed to have a relevant message to the world? How are we going to connect with our culture? You see the subtleties of those? And when we begin to do that, oftentimes used under the banner of those kinds of phrases, we end up doing nothing less than, than sanding off the sharp edges of the gospel. And we begin to say, well, we need to change it a little bit, right? Let's, 
dumb down the Christian message so that the world at large will receive the message that we have. After all, who's going to hear if we continue to say that Jesus is the only way to heaven? Who wants to hear that Jesus is the only way to heaven? Even though Jesus said he was the only way to heaven. Correct? Who is going to listen to us if we actually believe that there is an eternal punishment? A place of eternal punishment called hell. And what do we see even around us today? Two things are always under attack when you consider Christianity. One is the exclusivity of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus said, I have all authority. Not some, not a little. I have all authority. Don't you understand that his exclusive claim to be the only way to the Father is connected to the fact that he has all authority? And if he has all authority, he can save his people and he can also damn others to hell. If you've got all authority, you've got that right. Y'all understand? So it's all tied to the exclusivity of Christ. And that's under attack today in our world. And we need to buck up under the pressure and not go to the slide. Not be uh, silent when it comes to Jesus being the only way to heaven. But what about the other compromise that, well, God is such a loving God. Then surely there couldn't be a place called hell. And then we began to move away from that. Well, what does the Bible say? The Bible reminds us that Jesus preached on demons in hell more than he ever did on angels in heaven. There's a reason for that. Jesus is the only way to the Father. He is the only means of salvation. It is exclusive. And there is an eternal place called hell. Okay? Now, I want to remind you that these two compromises are popular. Whether it is Joel Osteen and his fake church, and his phony message, or someone else. Where do the people flock? They want to go where their ears are tickled. Where they don't ever hear that you're a sinner. Where they never hear the exclusivity of the gospel. Where they never actually hear that there is a place called hell. That's why this congregation is probably not full this morning. Right? That's not, that's not what people want to hear today. They don't flock to places like this. So just like when Antiochus goes rolling into Jerusalem and Jews by the thousands were willing to erase the marks of the covenant-keeping God, they profaned the Sabbath and the feast. Folks, the same is true today and will be true for false professors in the future. They'll be willing to sacrifice everything in order to be accepted by the world and not be persecuted. Does this temptation, is it, is it not always with us? As the people of God. <clears throat> the major temptation today that we face in the U.S. is not going to be to denounce Christ or die. Not yet. Okay, it may come. But the major temptation is to be less faithful to Christ so that we will be accepted. That is the danger. Okay, that's the biggest danger in Christianity today. Notice now the distinction between the covenant violators who were swept away with the acceptance by Greek world but then there were others who knew their God. Do y'all see the comparison here? Is this not true generationally? Those are going to succumb to flattery. They're going to take it hook, line, and sinker. They're going to defile the covenant. But then on the other hand, the people who, say it, know their God are people who are going to display strength and take a stand. So this message needs to be declared and heard over and over again. The most important thing about you is what you think about God. Right? 
The people described here had a genuine, biblical, Old Testament knowledge of God. These are the people who know their God. Jeremiah chapter 9 highlights this for us. If you'll flip over there, it would be really good for you to hear this because Jeremiah is prophesying when? During these days that we're reading about in Daniel. What do people in Daniel 11.32 look like? Well, Jeremiah tells us. Chapter 9, verse 23. This is what you have that you can really boast about. Okay? Listen. Thus says the Lord, Not the wise man boast... Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts boast in this... That he understands and knows me. That I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. Can anybody say amen? What are we boasting about? If you're going to boast about something, boast about this. I understand and know God. It is that we know him and we know what he is like. Well, we live in a day where the knowledge of God is at a low point. It doesn't take long to figure this out. The knowledge of our God is at a low point. How many of you know J.I. Packer, knew of him? He died back on, I think, July 17th. And he wrote the classic book that put a steel rod up my backbone from the time I was 17. It's called Knowing God. If you've never read this book, do yourself a great service and pick it up and read it. Knowing God. God. Well, folks, I'm telling you, we need to know God today as believers. More, it's at a low point in our world today, even among Christians. In our day, we don't hear, we hear a lot about ourselves from pulpits, but we don't hear a lot about God from pulpits. We need to hear what the Word of God has to say. So, what does it mean to actually know God? It's actually to know His attributes, His character, and His nature. That's what it means to know God. So, Daniel says... It is their knowledge of God that will mark them as separate from the compromisers. You want to be a compromiser in this world as a Christian? Then don't know your God. You'll be a compromiser. Right? That's what's going on in the text. They're going to know God. They're going to know who He is. And they're going to know what He is like. To know what God is like and who He is is actually the bedrock of our faith. Because apart from Jesus, you can't know God at all. It is the bedrock of our faith. We know Him in His sovereignty, that He is in control. We know Him in His justice, that He does all things right. We know Him in His holiness, that He is absolutely morally and uh, physically absolutely perfect. So if you don't know God, how are you supposed to stand? How are you going to stand when difficulties come if you don't believe that God is in control? How are you going to stand... How are you supposed to stand? If you don't understand that God, the God of heaven, is comprehensively in control of all things and that His power upholds, as the Bible says, the very universe, and not only did He speak it into existence, but He causes it to function without going awry, if you don't believe this, you're going to stumble and you're going to falter. You must understand the faithfulness of God, the mercy of God, and the grace of God. If you don't know these things, you have no place to stand in this life. If you don't know these things, you're like the man who built his house upon 
the sand, and the winds came, and the waves came, and the house could not stand. But there was the other who built his house upon the rock. Why? Because he knew his God. Psalm 910. Here's a verse of scripture that's incredible. Let's put this link the knowledge of God and trust in God together. And there's a verse of the scripture that does that. Psalm 9, verse 10. Here's what David says. And those who know your name put their trust in you. Folks, did you know there's a direct correlation in what you know to be true about God and your faith and confidence in the God you belong to? Hear it again. This is not real complicated. And those who know your name will put their trust in you. It is to know his character and his nature and his attributes. This means more than just a title, like we just flippantly say God or think about Jesus. It is to know who he is and what he is like. And the corresponding truth of those who know him will be the ones who put their trust in him. Are y'all awake? Are y'all getting this? The people who know him, the corresponding response will be to put your trust in him. Did y'all know that there's a water level to your faith? And the water level is our knowledge of God, of who he is and what he is like. And your faith will never rise above that line. It just won't. And of course, we get this knowledge from the word of God. If you don't know he is good and holy and faithful, then you don't know what you need to get in order to get through the fire that we sing about, in order to get through the difficulties of life. And I want to remind you, times are going to get increasingly more difficult. We need to understand this. We don't need more Bible prophecy conferences. We need people who know God and will take a stand. That's what we need in this world. And here's what the Bible says. They will display strength and stand firm. They realize they can't compromise. And they will not compromise. Now, the best way, again, to, stick, to put this rod of steel right up your backbone is, and to be a courageous person, is to do what? Is to know God. That's the way you do it. This has already been demonstrated for us in the book of Daniel. Y'all remember back? I know it's been a long time, but do you remember chapter 1, chapter 2, and chapter 3? Let's just take chapter 3, for example. Where did they get the wherewithal to stand against King Nebuchadnezzar when he said, you must bow, and they would not bow? Where did they get that from? They got it from the knowledge of God. It came because they knew their God. They knew he had the power, and they knew that their God could deliver them. But even if he did not, they still believed in the nature and character of our God, even if he did not. They trusted the sovereignty of God. And here's the deal. They would not dishonor the Lord. They wouldn't bow, as, as uh, Jerry Vines once said, once said, they wouldn't bow, they wouldn't bend, and they didn't burn. Right? It was the people of God who stood for him. They trusted. When you know God, it produces strength. When we know what he is like and who he is, we cannot compromise. Now I want to ask you, are you a noodleback? Are you like an old fish? Well, think about this. Or do you have that steel rod straight down your backbone? Why? It's not that you're mean-spirited. It's not that you're ugly. It's that the fact that you cannot compromise and dishonor the Lord. You can't do that. Okay? Then the Bible says they will take action. Now, there have always been courageous people throughout history. Yet there's a certain group of people in history that have shown unbelievable courage, simply rooted in the fact that they know their God. 
That separates biblical courage from just normal courage that we might see out in the world. And we think that's the epitome of of being a a human. But I want to remind you the fact of the matter is this courage is directly a result of our relationship with the Lord. There are people right now, this very hour, that are giving their life for the cause of Christ around this world. And they won't bend. They won't compromise. They're taking a stand for the Lord. It happens all over the world every day. They take action. They stand firm in the face of the worst possible opposition that you could ever imagine. They refuse to compromise because they know their God. And I know I'm speaking of extreme situations. But how do we know this is not going to happen in a year from now in the United States? How do you know that it might cost you your life to not compromise? And how do you know it may not, it may cost you your life to say that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven? What are you going to do when you're asked that question, knowing full well that you could be imprisoned or that you may even be killed for the cause of Christ? Do you have the backbone, because you know the Lord, to say, I will not compromise and Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven? Folks, we know this could happen. It could take place. Well, for adults and young people, especially our young people, what are you going to do when you're tempted by your peers? You're tempted by your peers to do just the everything, everyday life things that young people are doing. What are you going to do when you're tempted to smoke dope and to get drunk with alcohol and to have sex outside of marriage? When the Bible expressly says in the marriage bed it is undefiled, but the sexual, immoral, and adulterers adulterers, God will judge. The Bible expressly says that. So I'm trying to get this point across. If we can't say no to those temptations, what makes you think you're going to be able to stand when it really counts? When when you're called to deny the person of Christ. So I'm telling you, you need to be willing to stand. And that's what this sermon is about. That's what the text is about. The Bible says, the people who know their God, the people who know Him, We'll stand firm and take action. We know what this is like, don't we? We live in the United States of America, and we're so extremely comfortable. We get up in the morning, we go to work, we come back home, and we rarely ever have any persecution whatsoever. So I know for some of you, you're thinking, this is all distant to me. And I know why, because we live in the United States of America. But I'm telling you folks, on the authority of the Word of God, it's going to get worse. It's going to happen. Jesus says it in Luke 21. It's going to happen. It's going to get worse. So what are you going to do? Are you going to be able to stand when it counts? Let me show you something. Turn over to Revelation chapter 12. We have gone through this passage. We've looked at it as we've gone through Daniel. But it's a good reminder of what they went through and what we're going to go through. Revelation chapter 12. We have this cosmic war going on in chapter 12. The dragon is after the male child. Christ is taken up into the ascension, into heaven, right? And the dragon is going to make war on the church of the living God. He's going to make war on the offspring. Then we get down to verse 11. Listen. Sounds like Daniel. And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony... For they love not their lives even unto death. Now, none of us actually know what's in store for us even in our own country. We just don't know. 
We may enter once again a season of blessing. We may enter a a season of prosperity. Yet there's no guarantee that that's going to happen. Y'all agree? Yet there is a guarantee that there's something going to come in the future. And our Constitution can't guarantee that this won't happen. The U.S. Constitution cannot guarantee that persecution and difficulty will not come. Now, we may, in fact, experience the most difficult days since the founding of our great country. That might happen in the next year. We just don't know. Yet, no matter what, folks, you better be ready. You need to be ready. Mm. The way that you know that you are ready and the way that you overcome, how? Is to know God. The way to take appropriate action, the way to exhibit Courageous faith is to know God. Now verse 33 and 35. And we're going to wrap it up. Back at Daniel 11. I want you to put your eyes on these verses. And the wise among the people shall make many understand. Though for some days they shall stumble by sword and flame, by captivity and plunder. Look at verse 35. And some of the wise shall stumble so that they may be refined, purified, made white until the time of the end. There are those in this text who have insight. And what group is this? It's the same group that knows their God. Okay? They have insight. They've, they've studied the Word of God. In other words, they come to church with the Bible tucked under their arm. They didn't go to church back then. Not the same way, right? But still, you understand? They've got the scroll of the Old Testament. They've got the Word of God. By the way, what does the Scripture say? Thy Word have I hidden in my heart. That I might not sin against you. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my fat path. Psalm 119 says again, O Lord, your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. You know what that means? It means it will not change. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of God endures forever. People who know their God have the word of God in them. They have insight. And what do they do? Do they hide it under a bushel? This text says they give other people understanding. So some of you thought, I'm off the hook. All I have to do is stand firm on my own, take action. But I don't have to tell anybody about it. Well, you do, right? You've got a responsibility to encourage others to have understanding of what's going on in this world. Because I'm telling you, folks, if you form your worldview by CNN and MSNBC, you're in trouble. And I'll tell you this, even some things on Fox, you best not form your worldview on that. You better let God form your worldview by the Word of God. That is what's going on in this passage. They didn't have MSNBC, but they had Antiochus Epiphanes. They had all kind of, they gave in to what was going on that, in that time frame in the culture. It's unbelievable if you read the history of what they did. And yet, there were still people in that society that knew their God, and they knew the Scriptures. We are not to be carried along in this world by the elite gurus of our culture. We are to be carried along by the Word of the Lord. They gave insight to others. In other words, they took every opportunity to give people an understanding of why this time of trouble was upon them. They took the Word of God to heart. They shared it with others. Notice they are not exempt from persecution. In verse 33, the very people who know their God are the very people who are being persecuted for the cause of Christ. The people did not allow the culture to mold their opinions. They stood for Christ and they got persecuted for it. Now I want to remind you that if you are a believer and you have a Christian worldview, 
Now, I want to remind you, you can be a Christian and not have a Christian worldview. It's, it's highly possible. And it, and it blows my mind some things that Christians will say. It, it shows that they have not read the Scripture and they do not understand the Bible. And that's a travesty in our world. But I want to remind you, if you stand firm for the truth, you will be seen as the impediment of our culture's agenda. You will be. Don't think for a moment that the, relig- that the gurus of this world who want to take us totally away from the Bible, don't think for a moment that they like having you around. They don't. You will be viewed as someone who is impeding their progress. So they want to get rid of Christianity, get rid of church. And folks, again, what's driving that? Daniel 10 tells us that there's a war behind the war. There is a reality of principalities in high places. Uh, There's more than meets the eye going on in this world. And the enemy hates Christ and he hates the church, just like he did in Revelation chapter 12. So there is often not much help on the way either. Notice verse 34. When they stumble, they shall receive a little help. Are we going to get a whole lot of help from the world in living for Christ? No, you can forget it. It's not going to come. Now, I love the scene in Revelation 7. Have you read it in the last couple of years or last couple of weeks? Maybe. But there's a great multitude that's going to come out of the Great Tribulation. Have you ever read this? There's songs written about this, but they're going to come out of the Great Tribulation and they are clothed in white robes and they're washed in the blood of the Lamb. And John sees them. They've come through the Great Tribulation and are vindicated before the very throne room of God. And what's interesting, we may not see our vindication this side of heaven, right? Sometimes we forget that what really counts is not what is said about us in our lifetime. It's going to be what is said about you but when you are before the very throne of God. And the Bible says in Revelation 7, these are the ones that come out of the great tribulation, who've washed their robes in the blood of the Lamb. It's not most important about what people say about you here, but it's going to be very important about what God says about you there. So sometimes we forget that. Daniel 11 is a reality check for everybody in this church. Preacher, uh, deacon body, uh, church members, Sunday school teachers, those who know their God. This morning, I want to ask you that question. Do you know God? Not just the title. Do you know his attributes? Do you know his character? Do you know what he is like? And again, you can't know him apart from Jesus Christ. The Bible says that the Son of God has revealed him. God the Son has revealed him. We're living in difficult days. I think the Bible is clear that we should expect more difficult days. And if that is true, the biggest temptation is going to be what? To compromise with the spirit of this age. Well, the book of Revelation is written to Christians to remind us that you can't compromise with the beast. Y'all know that's in there, right? You can't compromise with the beast and still remain faithful to Jesus Christ. Just as the Jews could not compromise with Antiochus Epiphanes and stay loyal to God. So, what Daniel is, is a precursor for what we are in today. It's a lesson for us. You cannot, be, you cannot compromise and be faithful to God at the same time. Do I need to say that again? You can't compromise and be faithful to God at the same time. Those who know their God will stand. So don't ignore the message of Daniel 11. 
and don't ignore the message of, of revelation. And the best way to be prepared is to know God. Knowing God is the source of our strength. Knowing God is the source of a Christian's actions. Will we be people who know their God? Will we be strong and take action in such a way that pleases our God in heaven? Remember that Psalm 9? Those are the ones the Lord delights in. Those who seek His wisdom. Those who boast in the fact that we know our God. To God be the glory. Father, we thank You for Your Word. Lord, what a reminder to all of us. Lord, that we who know You shall stand firm and take action. We'll be strong. And as one translation says, we'll do great exploits. We will not be silent but we will be willing to speak the truth, always ready to give a defense for the hope that is in us. God, help us. And for the one here this morning that may have just been playing Christianity or going through the motions, we're reminded in 1 Timothy that there will, there will be some that have a form of godliness, but they deny the power of God. God, help us. May we do some soul introspection to know where we are with you. Maybe we're not standing firm and we're not taking action because we don't know you. But those who know their God will stand firm and take action. God help us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.